I think identity conflict is a good thing because it makes you say, oh, who do am I? Who do I want to be? And there is no one Chicano experience. There is no one Mexican experience. The world can separate you in a million different ways. But luckily, I grew up with punk rock, and so the idea to be the other to me was always, oh, this is my celebration that I do not have to fit in. Robert Lopez has had a long career as a musician and performer, playing in early punk bands like Catholic Discipline, The Boneheads, and as Elvez, the Mexican Elvis. But it was as a 16-year-old guitarist for the seminal San Diego punk band The Zeros where he really found the beginnings of his creative path, particularly at The Zeros' very first show in 1977, one still remembered today in California punk lore. Here's Robert Lopez with his story of My First Day. I grew up in Chula Vista, California, which is very different now. Chula Vista seemed to be then a more of a white suburb of sorts. There were some Latinos, but not in any ways comparable today. We lived almost north Chula Vista, so right on near the border of National City. And National City seemed more Latino to me than Chula Vista at that time, but maybe it was at the schools I was going to. I went to Rosebank, and I can think of me, my sister, and maybe four other Latinos in a whole elementary school in 1965. And my, my block I lived on, we were the only Latinos in the whole block. My dad was in a doo-wop group called the Duty Bobs. Him and his best friend used to do doo-wop singing. My dad playing guitar taught me to learn guitar. I remember taking a few guitar lessons in Chula Vista at a guitar store called Harper's Music on 3rd Avenue. My uncle was a show called Shane in Wonderland. In that 60s period, there were so many local TV shows with a clown showing cartoons. My uncle was that clown of uh, San Diego. So being an audience member on the show, or from an early age, I got to see television being made and live guests and that. So I guess I early on had a familiarity and comfortableness of performance and TV. I didn't speak any Spanish at home. My grandparents came from Mexico, and when they settled in National City, they taught my parents, we're in America now, let's speak English. We didn't learn as kids in the 60s, and so I learned all my Spanish in junior high school. But the nice thing is I always grew up with culture still. In my elementary school up to like 12 or 13, all my aunts and uncles worked with La Plaza de la Raza, which was been around since I've been a kid. And we always had a foundation of our cultural roots and our history, which was a good thing to be the other, but still firm in, oh, I know I have culture, I know I have background. It was a backup system that, yeah, you have roots, you have a whole identity. And especially now more, and that's what the whole drive with being Alves was, you know, use your culture, use your that. How did you come into... Into punk rockness? Punk, yeah. 
I was very fond of glam rock. So that was like 1972, 1974, being 12 or 14. But out of the glam and Bowie came the New York Dolls. And the New York Dolls were a verge between punk and the glam. Still the showiness and silvery things. And then the nice thing is their playing was so much rougher and rudimentary that made it more accessible. Lucky to say, I got to see the New York Dolls in San Diego, there was a little club called JJ's right off of Pacific Coast Highway, approximately now where there, there's an Amvets, and it was an all-ages club. And my parents drove me and my two sisters, and we got to see the New York Dolls on St. Patrick's Day in 1974, being right in front and seeing people with guitars in a showy, flashy way, but still a rudimentary rock and roll, and it wasn't called punk yet, but I said, oh, this is kind of like Louie Louie in its roughness and fun and exhilaration. And from there, I have magazines like Rock Scene. Rock Scene was a great New York magazine, and the New York Dolls were in it, so were Kiss and Bowie and Iggy Pop. And so it's more romantic. In those days, information would take so much longer before you hear the record and knowing about stuff and saying, oh, I wonder what this band, the Ramones... All these things, and of course, we wouldn't get the record till two years later, and you have time to imagine in your head what does that sound like, as opposed to now you can say, oh, here's your band, look, look up, hear the whole catalog, hear everything, hear every interpretation of the words, as opposed there's a nice thing, especially as a teenager, to say, ooh, I wonder what that means. Imagination downtime is a thing of my youth that I go, oh, the pondering it makes it better. Downtime is how your mind creates, makes new possibilities. The Zero started as a band called the Main Street Brats, which is Javier, who is the other guitar player of the Zeros, and we went to the same high school, and he started dating my sister. We met through that and knew, found out we liked the same stuff and knew about the same bands, which is really great at that period because you knew in high school no one else knew who the Velvet Underground was or knew who the New York Dolls were. My cousin Baba had played drums, but he had never played in a band. So with my suggestion of, oh, Baba knows some of the same stuff I do, he went to a different high school, and he had a friend from that high school who knew Beatles stuff and played bass. Well, it was the Main Street Brats, which was half of the Zeros. And then when two of the members, we took on my cousin and Hector. Being on the vanguard of punk definitely had its disadvantages. And finding a place to play locally was nearly impossible in those early years. There wasn't a scene, there wasn't a casbah, there wasn't Bar Pink. I mean, the first time I was on stage was maybe the very first stage was Quinceañera in Rosarito. Yeah, there was literally no place to play. From just a rough cassette recording, the Zeros were asked to play a show in Los Angeles that would later be remembered by many as the first L.A. punk rock show. The nerves were producing that show. 
and the Nerves were a great band who wrote Hanging on the Telephone for Blondie and lots of fingers in what would become power pop and music later. Uh, but they produced the show, and via Fast Freddy, who would later become Zero's manager, was the one to get us on the bill. Javier got to borrow his parents' car, and we drove all the way to Los Angeles, and the club was called the Orpheum Theater, and it was like a small 99-seat theater across the street from, which was the Cornerstone Tower Records that was right on Sunset Boulevard in the old days. There was a little bookstore called Book Soup above it, but it was a subterranean little thing, little club, Oh, yeah, we were nervous and quiet and timid. We weren't, the Zeros were always, weren't allowed in your face, punk rock band. And so we were quiet and four young Mexican boys, 16 to 18, in the big city in our first show. And we hadn't developed any showmanship chops, so concentrating on the music. And I'm sure we were probably just. 16-year-old self-conscious, I'm going to get through this without making a mistake if I can help. The Germs played, and it was like a super messy, sloppy, it was all their first show, too. To me, it was, oh, they're doing, how much can we get away with before someone makes a stop? The other band that was playing was the Weirdos, and they were miles above both of us. We looked always looked more like the Jets of West Side Story. I mean, we'd maybe a tie, 60s-esque-looking, Standells-looking-esque was our thing, as opposed to the weirdos had great outfits that were spray-painted, Jackson Pollocky, all these things hanging on to it, you know. Oh, I'm sure it was very short. I mean, all our songs were like two minutes, two minutes, 30 seconds, at the longest, probably. So I'm sure we just probably just did a 20-minute set. Yeah, and then there was a second set, but I don't think the Germs played a second set because they had exploded everything and broken everything. After we all became friends, because exposing yourself as we did in performing is, especially at 16, something that breaks down a barrier. We'll be right back after this message. How long has it been since you saw something new in San Diego for the very first time? Well, Hornblower Cruises and Events wants to make that happen for you because you listen to the show. As a listener, Hornblower is offering a $5 discount when you use promo code MFD5D. You can have your own first day on the water, exploring beautiful San Diego. Departure info is at hornblower.com. Make your own first day. And again, just use promo code MFD5D when you buy tickets. Playing that legendary show put them on the map of the burgeoning punk scene in Los Angeles and it introduced them to a whole new world. Punk rock was like, oh, you are different. We want to know about you, which was, oh, isn't that always? At a 16-year-old, what people say, oh, tell me about you. You're not the regular person. You're something interesting. So being in punk rock, which was my 16-year-old-ness, which is a great time to be part of a movement and part of a scene, part of a culture, and saying, yeah, I know this is different, and that what makes me better (laughs) which is the wonderful thing to me of that first wave of punk is how inclusive it was how diverse how many different flavors it had how many different looks it had 
but we were all more or lessly united as a we are the other. It was interesting also, none of us in the band period are saying, oh, I'm a Chicano, I'm Alice Bag, or hey, we're the Zeros, we're the Mexican. We didn't name ourselves that. We got called that later in press, Mexican Ramones or whatever. But no one was there to, what sets me apart is my, I'm a girl, or I'm, what sets me apart is I'm Mexican. It was just like all misfits are included in this scene. And as a misfits, we like all these different things. I like this, I like this, I like this. As opposed to later, Elvez was, how Mexican can I be? But yeah, back then we didn't think about, oh, we're queer core, oh, we're girl band, oh, we're this, because it was just, you didn't have to, just being a misfit was enough. There's a whole funny idea of how extreme punk want to become hardcore with Black Flag and Circle Jerks and that kind of stuff, which is turned into misogynistic, homophobic uniform of shaved head, T-shirt and jeans, as opposed to punk rock in 76 was filled with women, filled with gay people, both men and women, filled with people of color, filled with idea of costume. And you'd had bands that could be rockabilly or jazzy, like the Deadbeats, or comically like the Weirdos, or avant-garde like Screamers, or bands with two girl members like the Bags, or Go-Go's came from punk rock before they got silent. So it was all these things, like it wasn't an idea of, oh, you got a girl, it's different. It was just like... The idea is that we are misfits. Be you straight, gay, color, male or female, or like all kinds of different music. And then punk turned into the idea of hardcore. So it's just an unfunny idea that punk came from gay roots and then it just morphed into something. We had created a community that would later exclude us. <laughs> Robert stepped away from music for many years as the punk scene he experienced at 16 morphed into something he no longer recognized. For several years, he let go of playing music altogether until an idea for a new project took hold. And Elvez was my later change in life because I did put away music for a long time and worked on art and curating and doing stuff like that in the mid-'80s after punk rock. So I had curated a show on the theme of Elvis. And this was in the mid-80s. There was a lot of, is Elvis alive? It was like, it'd been like 10 years, and it was that whole resurgence of Elvis stuff. But they were saying, oh, you should go to Memphis. Every year there's a International Tribute Week, which is like, like the Weep Week, the Los Muertos of Elvis. People from around the world... There's Elvis impersonator contests, the 5K run, movies, fan clubs. So I dared myself, oh, I'm going to dare myself. No one knows me there, so if I fall on my face, it's okay. So I dared myself, I'm going to be Elvis, the Mexican Elvis. And I got some gold lame pants, put a mustache on with a marker, and thought, okay, I'll do, you ain't nothing but a chihuahua and huaraches azulas and esta bien mamacita faked my way onto an impersonator contest. I knew my Mexican history so I could spout Cesar Chavez, Frida Kahlo at the same time. So as a 
opposed to just being campy Elvis, I could add some political identity to it and history and cultural significance, which made it different than that. So art is always better in the frame. Okay, my frame is, okay, Mexican agenda, Elvis agenda, flash of that, here is the frame of Elvis. Why is it important to have the limitations that are the frame? Because I have, my mind will go too far. There's too many things bringing the silver elephants or whatever. Within that, I'm always saying, how far can we go within that frame? That's the way I think. And still within that, I go, oh, it's got to connect to Elvis, Mexican, or that culture. I can still pull in so many things. From even early on, Elvez proved to be immensely popular and provided an income to Robert, which has allowed him to continue to live a creative life, as well as keep him connected to his 16-year-old punk self. I've been lucky that I've been able to make a career on my ideas. I didn't get into being creative for a secure bank account, and I'm lucky that my creative ideas have been able to pay my rent and give me a house. All my background of my youth, sucking it up, the art, the music, the performance, led me to do what I do now. It's putting it in a blender, picking and sorting, and, and that's what everyone does. You take your life experiences and put them together in a new way. There is no one story of punk rock. This opened the creative floodgates of the possibilities. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Instagram, at MyFirstDayStories. Our email is MyFirstDayStories at gmail.com. My First Day is produced by me, Andrew Bracken. Additional help from Melissa Diaz. Music by Chris Curtis and Los Plantronics. Thanks also to Ramona McCarthy. Support for this program comes from the KPBS Explore Local Content Fund, supporting new ideas and programs for San Diego. For KPBS, Melanie Drogseth is programming coordinator, Nate John is innovation specialist, Jill Linder is programming manager, Lisa Jane Morissette is operations manager, and John Decker is director of programming. Thanks also to Kurt Koenig. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>